Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! We continue our series of Father Brown stories, which commemorate the centenary of G.K. Chesterton's birth, with The Perishing of the Pendragons. Adapted by Archie Campbell, and has Leslie French as Father Brown, and William Rushton as G.K. Chesterton himself, who narrates the stories. The Perishing of the Pendragons. Keep us steady now. Ready, she is! Half a point to starboard! Half a point to That's the ticket! Hold our heads, other way! Aye, aye, sir! How's our reference friend faring, Flambeau? Not too well, I fear. It would seem he has just suffered another attack of mal de mer. His swell is rather more than he can stomach. Poor fellow! Wretched thing, seasickness! Never mind, we'll be in calmer waters before long. Yeah, no one will be better pleased than he. Father Brown was by nature no very happy sailor. Nor, at the time of which I am speaking, was he in any mood for adventure. It will, therefore, strike my listeners as surprising that we should discover our little priest at sea, aboard a yacht, pitching and tossing in heavy seas as she heads towards the rocky and dangerous coast of Cornwall. Stranger, too that we should find him in the company of no lesser person than his old adversary, the international arch-criminal Flombo. A word of explanation is therefore necessary to acquaint you with the situation. First, dear listener, you must know that following his conversion by Father Brown after their last encounter, Flombo had renounced his evil ways for good, and obeying the old adage, set a thief to catch a thief, had established himself in London as a most successful and very private detective. Since then, the two men have become firm friends. As for Father Brown, he had lately fallen ill with overwork. And when he began to recover, Flombo had taken him on a cruise in a small yacht belonging to Sir Cecil Fanshaw, a young Cornish squire with a particular enthusiasm for the coast of his native county. Have you ever seen anything like it, Flombo? That ragged, violet sunset against those ragged, volcanic crags. If only one of the skill to paint it. It would certainly inspire an artist. Look, Fanshawe, that rock that stands out so prominently, it's shaped exactly like a dragon, I declare. You're right, it does resemble one, hence the name. Name? What name? Pendragon. This part of the countryside from which the Pendragons derive their patronymic. Mm. 
But observe that rock nearby. Does it not look like Merlin, that old magician of Tintagel? Yes, by Jove, so it does. Extraordinary. Ah, there you are, Brown, old friend. You feeling better? Oh, somewhat better, thank you. You'll be right as rain, Father Brown, once we reach the shelter of the estuary. Our host has been pointing out some of the interesting landmarks. Those rocks on either side of the river's mouth, for instance. Would you not say they might be the gate of fairyland, each with its twinkling light? Yes, I suppose they might. Pilot, what's that ancient rhyme of yours about those old rocks? We they old lights assassin. Yes. Both eyes bright, see more right. One eye winks, down her sinks. <laughs> Which being interpreted means that when you see these two coast lights exactly side by side, you are on the right channel. But if one is hidden behind the other, you are heading for the rocks. Thank you, pilots. You're welcome, sir. The West Country's full of such quaint fables, but when it comes to seamanship, I'd pit the men of Cornwall against those of Devon any day. <laughs> that speaks a true Cornishman. Maybe so, but I'll take my oath there have been captains among these coves and islets compared with whom Drake was practically a landsman. Yeah, so it's possible that Kingsley's adventurous title, Westwood Ho, only meant that all Devonshire men wished they were living in Cornwall. <laughs> I don't know about that. But near this very spot, there's an old retired admiral who discovered the last group of Pacific Islands to be charted. Amongst other things... Mm, it would be interesting to meet an old sea dog like that. We most probably shall if he happens to be at home. Do you hear that, old friend? Uh, Another colourful character to add to your unique collection. No doubt, no doubt. Oh, cheer up, Father Brown. We're nearly home and dry. Watch those two lights. They're exactly port and starboard of us now. That means we're almost through the river mouth. Oh, I'm delighted to hear it. All these trivialities Father Brown heard and saw. But as a tired man hears a tune in the railway wheels, or a sick man sees the pattern of his wallpaper. However, as the estuary grew narrower, the water calmer and the air warmer, he began to wake up and take notice. His slowly reviving senses were encouraged by the magic clearness and intensity of the colours he saw all around him. What a perfect evening. It's as if a smoked glass slide had been slid from the face of nature, revealing her in her true colours. I can assure you, Father Brown, that such evenings are by no means uncommon in these parts, particularly after a wet day. Just look at those shallows, peat-stained from the rain. Don't they glow like amber in the setting sun? Yes, indeed. And those trees on either side of us, like tumbled masses of some vivid violet flowers stirred by the breeze. A prospect to sing about, in fact, at least for poets such as yourself. I make no claim to poetry, but even a confirmed pragmatist like you, Flambo, must surely find beauty in such a scene. I can imagine none lovelier, or, for that matter, more peaceful. How far inland may we travel, Sir Cecil? Oh, for several miles. Even at low water, the channel is deep and wide enough for a boat as small as ours. However, the river itself narrows with every turn. I see no signs of human life. <laughs> we might as well be exploring some uninhabited Pacific island. One belonging to the old admiral, perhaps, eh? Where are your eyes, man? Haven't you observed those people moving along the bank? Where? Over there to starboard. Several of them. Oh, so there are, to be sure. <laughs> what do you make of them? Oh, gypsies, probably. Carrying faggots and osiers they've cut in the forest. 
Not an unusual sight hereabouts. Most likely they've encamped nearby. Hmm. Picturesque enough. Now I see them more clearly. Oh, ho, what have we here? Something that is uncommon in these remote parts. A young woman, dark-haired, bareheaded, paddling a canoe. I dare say Father Brown's rather better acquainted with such emancipated activities and those Essex waterways of his, eh, Padre? Oh, such sights are no longer unconventional, I must admit. What's she up to, I wonder? Hmm. Disappeared under the trees now. Pity. Perhaps we shall catch up with her around the next bend. But all thoughts of the gypsies or the young woman in the canoe were forgotten when the next turn in the river brought in sight a singular object. The water ahead of them seemed to be split and cloven by the dark wedge of a narrow and wooded islet. At the rate they were going, the islet appeared to swim towards them like a ship. A ship with a very high prow, or to speak more correctly, a very high funnel. What on earth is this? Bless my soul, what an extraordinary edifice. Well, it's too high for its breadth to be called a house, or indeed anything but a tower. Yet it appears to be built entirely of wood. And in the most eccentric manner, too. Some of the planks and beams are obviously of good seasoned oak, while others seem to be of raw and quite recent pine wood. Some of them look to have been blacked over with tar or pitch to match the oak. And observe how those same black beams are set crooked and crisscross at all kinds of angles. Oh, a regular patchwork of black and white. Intended for habitation, nevertheless, I'd say. Otherwise, why these elaborate slitted windows? The entire effect is somewhat incongruous, I admit, both in shape and material. Incongruous, certainly. Almost as surprising as if one were to see a top hat made out of tin or a frock coat out of tartan. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but here perhaps we have the explanation. That building just visible over the treetops. Mm -hmm. That's as pleasing an example of Tudor domestic architecture as one could wish for. Black and white, too, but with none of that piebald look of that tower. Although no doubt there is some connection between the two. Possibly, but... What can be its purpose? Some kind of watchtower, would you say? Aha, my friend. You've not seen a place quite like this before, I fancy. Mm. Now you shall see whether I exaggerate about the mariners of Cornwall. How do you mean? This place belongs to old Admiral Pendragon. The spirit of Raleigh and Hawkins is the memory for the Devon folk. It's a modern fact with the Pendragons. I think if good Queen Bess rose from her grave and came up this river in a golden barge, she would be received by the Admiral in a house exactly as she was accustomed to. She would find an English captain still talking of fresh lands to be found in little ships as much as if she dined with Drake. Hmm. She'd find a rum sort of thing in the garden which would hardly please her Renaissance eye. Oh, why? Well, that Elizabethan architecture is charming in its homely way, but... But it's against its very nature to break out into towers and turrets. And yet that tower is the most romantic and Elizabethan part of the business. The story goes that it was built by the lady of Sir Peter Pendragon in the days of the Spanish Wars. They say she erected it here because from the top you can see the corner where vessels turn into the River Mouth. 
She wished to be the first to see her husband's ship as he sailed home from the Spanish main. Ah, such is true love. And the tower has remained here ever since? Yes. And though it needed patching and even rebuilding for other reasons, it has always been rebuilt in the old way. For what other reasons has it been rebuilt? Oh, there's a strange tale about that, too. Yes, the story has it that Sir Peter, who had some of the faults of the pirate as well as the virtues of the sailor, was bringing home three Spanish gentlemen in honourable captivity, intending to escort them, three were brothers, it seems, to the court of Elizabeth. Ah, men did not always treat their prisoners so gently. Noblesse oblige, my friend, as always. Nevertheless, Sir Peter, it appears, was a man of ungovernable temper. And coming to high words with one of them, he caught him by the throat and flung him into the sea. Whether it was by accident or design, I don't know, but a second Spaniard instantly drew his sword and flew at Pendragon. After a short but furious combat, during which both were wounded, Sir Peter drove his blade through the other's body. As it happened, the ship had already turned into the river mouth and was in comparatively shallow water. Oh, much as we are in now. Exactly. This, this might be the very place. Anyhow, at this point, the third brother sprang over the side of the ship and struck for shore. When he had almost reached it, he turned towards the ship, and standing up to his waist in the water, holding up both arms to heaven, he cried out to Pendragon that he at least was yet alive, that he would go on living, and that generation after generation of Pendragons should never see him or his, but should know by very certain signs, and here he pointed at the tower, that he and his vengeance were alive. With that, he dived under the water and was never seen again. Oh, a strange story indeed. Mm. Look, there's that girl again. The dark-haired beauty in the canoe. Mm. She seems just as bothered by that queer tower as we were. Flombo, there are plenty of girls in the world, but not many things mm. like the Pendragon Tower. As you may suppose, plenty of superstitions and guesswork have followed the track of the Spaniard's curse. But it is perfectly true that this tower has been burnt down two or three times. Two at least of the admirals near kin have perished by shipwreck. And one of them, to my own knowledge, on practically the same spot where Sir Peter threw the Spaniard overboard. And that spot might be just here. It's possible, yes. What a pity. She's going. Who's going? The girl in the canoe. She's not even spared a glance. Flambo, old fellow, you're incorrigible. <laughs> When did your friend, the Admiral, tell you this family history, Sir Cecil? Oh, many years ago. He hasn't been to sea for some time now, though he's as keen on it as ever. I believe there's a family compact or something. Well, here's the landing stage. Ah. Let's step ashore and see the old boy. Yeah. Oh, well, take my I'm hand, Father Brown. To help Come on. There we are. Thank you. Quite a walk ahead of you. Now, to follow this path, through the trees, past the tower, and up to the house itself. I must warn you both not to be surprised at what you may find. Mm -hmm. The Admiral is an eccentric old chap, and his house and household are even stranger. Oh, he uh, has a family, then? No. No, he's a bachelor and lives alone, except for a butler and a couple of Negro manservants. But I was thinking really of his appearance. In his blue reefer jacket, white duck trousers, and the broad brim black hat he habitually wears, he would say to step straight off one of Nelson's men of war. Oh, well, 
I look forward to meeting this interesting personage. He'll find much else besides the Admiral to interest you at Pendragon, I'll warrant. The house and gardens are out of sight beyond the trees. As you see, the tower forms a kind of gatehouse to the main drive. Ah, a splendid approach to a gentleman's estate. But a somewhat forbidding one in this fading light. Oh, no, no, Frambo, I don't agree. Mystical, perhaps, but not forbidding. One could imagine all manner of strange, unearthly beings dwelling in the dark recesses of these woods. You're right, Brian. King Arthur was here, they say. And Merlin, and the fairies before him. Cornwall is a land of strange legends. What's that? A gardener trimming a hedge, I should think. Certainly not one of Father Brown's ghosts. But we'll soon find out. Death and damnation! The confounded blade got stuck again. Oh, what the devil's the matter with a blasted thing? Holy Moses! Will you never come free, you perishing son of Satan? It's the Admiral himself, no oh, less. Hell's oh, hell bells! What's in the name of... Ah! Ah, at last. My dear Admiral! Do you generally cut out a new front door whenever you want to go for a walk? Uh, no, no, but I've really got to cut down this ruddy hedge. It's spoiling all my plants. <laughs> no one else here can do it properly. I'll only carve another bit off the front door, as you call it, and then come out and welcome you. Ah! Ah, oh, capital. Well, that's... That's done the trick. There's nothing like an old cutlass when it comes to chopping things down. Glad to see you, Cecil, my dear boy. How do you do, sir? Uh, who are your friends? Uh, two guests from my yacht. This hmm? is Father Brown, How who's taking do? a short rest from his parish. Oh, delighted to make your acquaintance, sir. And this is my old friend, Aristide Flambeau. You've heard me speak of him, I'm sure. Oh, oh, welcome to Pendragon, Mr. Flambeau. I've been telling them something about the place, and now they're hoping to see more of it for themselves. Oh, so you shall, gentlemen. As soon as I finish with this damn fence. Mm, you seem to have set yourself quite a task here, Admiral. You're experiencing some difficulty just now, from what one could hear. <laughs> Letting myself go, was I? Yes, well, you must forgive an old sailor. Yes, you know, I do go on a bit. I really find a kind of enjoyment in smashing things these days. So it would appear, sir. Yes, so would you, my boy. If your only real pleasure lay in cruising about the South Seas in search of new cannibal islands, and instead you had to stick on this muddy little rockery in a sort of rustic... Pond. I'd hardly describe Pendragon as a rockery, sir. Hmm? Mm, perhaps not. When I think how I'd cut down a mile or more of poisonous jungle with an old cutlass half as sharp as this, and then remember I must stop here and chop this matchwood just because of some confounded old bargain scribble on a family Bible, I, 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 I feel like that. Ah. All right, now let's go up to the house. You must have some dinner. It's getting too dark to take in much of the garden, but you may notice the tulips. Yes, we've had an exceptionally fine show in the spring. Yes, so I observe. Yellow and red, massed in separate beds. Most effective. Is there any special significance in the choice of colors? No, why? Well, red and yellow, the colors of Spain. Spain? What's that to do with it? Oh, nothing, Admiral, nothing. I was merely indulging in a passing fancy. You know, if you're interested in flowers, 
You should be here in June when the azaleas are in bloom. Oh, they make a rare spectacle. Oh, so they should in such a setting. Unfortunately, that gardener of mine is more interested in the cultivation of his roses, and for some reason they never do so well here. Hey, Tremaine! What? You can hang up that coil of hose now. You've done quite enough watering for today. Oh, just as you wish, Admiral. But they still that thirsty. Yeah, never mind. You do as I say. Uh. Oh, he's rough and ready, that fellow Tremaine, but loyal as they make him. You'll observe, Mr. Flambeau, how the trees break here to provide a view of the river from the house. Yes. And I notice you have mounted a telescope in a strategic position to take advantage of it. <laughs> well, old habits die hard, you know. Must have a stretch of water to scan, even if it's only an old, muddy estuary. Be careful of these steps. Bless my soul, what's this? What's what, Father Brown? Well, this oak beam above the doorway. It appears to have some interesting carvings on it. Oh, what do you make of them? Well, it's difficult to tell from the ground. Uh, might I make use of this garden table to get somewhat nearer? Yeah. Oh, that's ah, that's better. Father Brown is an expert in antiquities, sir. Indeed. Well, what can you tell us now? Well, the carving is much worn away in places, but as far as I can see, it appears to be divided into three separate representations. Yes? Well, go on, describe them to us. Well, the first shows the outlines of a tall, narrow building. A tower, possibly. It's crowned by what looks like a... Ah, yes. Curly, pointed ribbons. And the next carving? Ah, now this one's much clearer. It represents a ship, an Elizabethan galley. Uh, yes, I would say it's an Elizabethan galley, riding on a line of decorative waves. There, there's a kind of jagged cleft in the vessel's side. Oh, yes, yes, here's what appears to be a rock jutting up from the water. What do you make of the third panel? Well, now, this appears to depict the upper half of a human figure, both arms held stiffly aloft, emerging from the same formal representation of waves. Just so. What are your conclusions, Father? Well, that here we have the legend of the Spaniard, plain enough. Here he is, holding up his arms and cursing in the sea. And here beside him are these two curses. The red ship and the burning of Pendragon Tower. Oh, yes, there we are. Ah, uh, he's your Spaniard, without a doubt. Oh, my friend, you're on a wrong tack. That sort of half-man is quite common in heraldry, as indeed is the galley. In the case of the tower, it would be more heraldic to suppose it to be crowned with laurel rather than with ribbons of fire. Hmm? Uh, it seems rather odd that it should so exactly confirm the old legend, does it not? Ah, but you don't know how much of the old legend may have been made up from these old figures. Besides, it isn't the only old legend. Fanshawe here will tell you that there are other versions of the tale. Hmm? Yes, and rather horrible ones. Mm. One story has it that the Admiral's ancestor had the unfortunate Spaniard cut in two. And that would fit the picture also. Yes, I suppose it could. Now, that alone would go to show how little these unhappy coincidences really signify. How do you mean, Admiral? Well, it so happens that there was no thunder and lightning at all in the two or three shipwrecks I know of in our family. Then you don't think there is anything in the tales of the tower in flames? Well, there are tales, of course. Some of them I don't deny. The evidence is as decent as one ever gets for such things. Someone 
saw a blaze hereabouts as he walked home through the woods. The shepherd up there on the moors thought he saw a flame hovering over Pendragon Tower. But a damp dab of mud like this confounded island seems the last place one would look for fires, hmm? Well, uh, what's that fire over there, I wonder? The fire where? In those woods, along the river bank. By Jove, he's right. There's a funnel of blue smoke rising from the trees, do you see? <laughs> Gypsies, that's all. They've been camping about here for a week. Poachers. Oh, damn lot of them. Yes, well, you want your dinner. Let's go into the house. Uh, one moment, sir, listen. There. That hissing noise, quite near the island. It sounds very much like fire. It sounds very much like what it is. Some skiff, or perhaps a canoe passing by. There's a number of them on the river. It's that girl again, Fanshaw. I can just make out her canoe against that light patch of water. So it is. What brings her to the island, I wonder? Curiosity, possibly? Uh, do you um, have many strangers here, Admiral? Fortunately not. No patience with people who stick their noses in when they're not wanted. Yes, Benetta, what is it? I was about to announce that dinner is served, sir. Right, thank you, Benetta. Come on in, gentlemen. You'll find no frills nor fur bellows here, but we pride ourselves in having things pretty ship-shape in spite of that. And indeed, the dining room our friends entered was as nautical as the cabin of a ship, although its note, if Father Brown's memory is to be relied on, was that of a modern rather than an Elizabethan captain. Cases of stuffed birds of exotic colour, fantastic shells from the Pacific, and a collection of native spears and other implements were displayed against the walls. By contrast... A number of antiquated cutlasses were arranged in a trophy over the fireplace, while beside them hung an ancient map adorned with tritons and little ships dotted about a curly, formalized sea. It was this map which particularly attracted the attention of Father Brown. Most curious, this old chart of yours, Admiral. 16th century, would you say? Where is thereabouts? Ah, yes. Exceedingly interesting. Yeah, well, tell me, what do you think of my collection of South American birds? Quaintly coloured, are they not? Yes, indeed. Such brilliant plumage. Various species of hummingbirds, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, for the most part. Ah, yes, I recognise this little fellow here. Hmm? Ariok name is Cupria ventris, or, or copper-bellied puff-leg hummingbird, is he not? A descriptive, if somewhat cumbersome, cognomen for such a tiny creature. A native of Santa Fe de Bogota, I believe. Oh, I perceive you're an expert in other matters besides antiquities, Father Brown. Oh, no, no, no expert, Admiral, but a keen amateur ornithologist. Ah. It has always struck me as odd that the male bird should be so much more gorgeously caparisoned than his mate. Now, this trogan, for example, with his long, delicate feathers, could anything be more splendid? Mm. The resplendent trogan, eh? That's what they call him, you know. It's said that the old Mexican kings forbade the wearing of those long feathers and plumage to any but themselves. So I have read. And here he is, our calores resplendens, in all his glory. <laughs> oh, magnificent indeed. I fancy the Admiral's collection of native weapons would be more to your taste, eh, Flombo? Flombo is an expert swordsman, Admiral, and has made a study of weaponry. Oh, indeed. Oh, what do you make of these, sir? Yeah, I recognize some of them. The spears, for example. But uh, what in heaven's name are these strange, queerly shaped objects? Instruments of torture, would you say? 
And these? I wonder if the savages used them to kill or to cook their enemies. Both, I imagine. Oh, come, we must not let our soup grow cold. Besides the butler, Admiral Pendragon's only servants were two young Negroes, quaintly clad in tight uniforms of yellow. The colour and little neat coattails of these bipeds suggested the word canary to our friend Father Brown, and so connected them in his mind with southern travel. Towards the end of dinner, they took their yellow clothes and black faces out of the room, leaving only the black clothes and yellow face of the butler. I'm rather sorry, Admiral, that you take the subject of the Spaniard's curse so lightly. Oh, why? Well, the truth is I brought these friends of mine here with the idea of their helping you. Don't you really believe in the family story at all? I don't believe in anything. I prefer the study of these tropical birds of mine to some old wives' tale which can have no bearing either on the present or the future. What do you say, Father Brown? Well, I agree with you, Admiral. The study of natural history is a most rewarding hobby and one that has afforded me great pleasure and relaxation in my work. Excuse me, sir. May I set down the decanters? Yes, 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 to be sure, Benito. Uh, leave them and the dessert on the table. Will that be all, sir? Yes, yes, thank you. We we shan't require your presence further. Very good, sir. Uh, pass your glass, Thank you. Uh, please don't think me impertinent, Admiral, but am I right in guessing that you don't want these family affairs of yours talked of before your butler? <laughs> Well, I don't know where you got it, but to tell you the truth, I can't stand the fella. Oh, now, friends, you're here with these fairy tales will say my blood moved against men with that black Spanish-looking hair. <laughs> By joke. So had that girl. Oh, what's that you say? Oh, nothing, Edmund. Uh, but I'm told that many Cornish people have that dark Spanish look. Oh, possibly. Ah, well, I hope it'll all end tonight when my nephew comes back safe from his ship. Your nephew Walter, sir? Mm. I didn't know you were expecting him. Oh, don't look so surprised, my boy. Yes. <laughs> I don't suppose any of you will understand unless I, I tell you a story. Oh, well. You see, my father had two sons. Now, I remained a bachelor. But my older brother married and had a son who became a sailor like all the rest of us and who will inherit this estate. You mean he will succeed you here, sir? No, not a bit of it. I'm no more than his tenant at Pendragon. My father was a strange man who somehow combined Fangio's superstitions with a good deal of scepticism. And after my first few voyages, he conceived an idea which he thought might finally settle whether the curse of the Pendragons was truth or trash. Oh, and how did he hope to do that? Well... He thought that if all the Pendragons sailed about anyhow, there'd be too much chance of natural catastrophes to prove anything. Mm -hmm. If, on the other hand, we went to sea in strict order of succession to the property, he thought it might show if any connected fate followed the family as a family. Mm, there's something to be said to that. You think so? Well, I considered it a silly notion. And I quarreled with my father pretty heartily. After all, I was an ambitious man and was left to the last, coming by succession after my nephew. Ah, uh, both your father and brother died at sea, I fear. Yes, by one of those brutal accidents on which are built all the lying mythologies of mankind. They were both shipwrecked. Dear me, how sad. And my father coming up this coast out of the Atlantic was washed up on these Cornish rocks. My brother's ship was sunk too. They these self-same rocks on the voyage home from Tasmania. And his body was never found. Neither of them could swim, you see. Nor for that matter can I. What a tragic tale. Yes, but a perfectly natural mishap. Lots of people besides Pendragons have been drowned at sea. 
Nevertheless, it set this forest of superstition on fire, and men saw the blazing tower everywhere. That's why I say it'll be all right when Walter returns. Uh, well, let us hope that may be so. Yes, well, the girl he was engaged to was coming today, but I was so afraid of some chance delay frightening her that I wired her not to come until she heard from me. Well, give me a glass, Father. Oh, but he's practically sure to be here sometime tonight, and then it'll all end in smoke. <laughs> Tobacco smoke. <laughs> we'll crack that old lie when uh, we crack another bottle of this wine. And a remarkably good wine it is. Yes. Oh, 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 dear me. Uh, I, I'm afraid I've spilt some on the tablecloth. Oh, I'm, I, I most sincerely beg your pardon, Admiral. As you see, I'm a very bad wine bibber. What's the matter, Father Brown? You've gone quite white. Well, your hand is shaking as though you just seen one of your ghosts. Well, I, I, you see, I, 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 it's nothing, 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 nothing at all. Just, just for a moment, I fancied I saw a woman's face looking in at us from the window. Hmm. Oh, dear. it's my imagination, of course. I, I'm so ashamed of my carelessness. Oh, let me refill your glass. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, um, Admiral, um, hmm? uh, will you do me a favor? What's that? Uh, let me and my friends, if they like, stop in that tower of yours just for tonight. You see, in my business, you know, you're an exorcist almost before anything else. I tell you, there's nothing in it. This business is perfectly natural. There's no curse in it at all. Uh, well, in that case, there can't be any objection to my sleeping in your delightful summer the house. The idea is utterly ridiculous. Well, you forgive me, sir, but it seems to me that you are not quite so easy about the blazing tower as you try to be. <sighs> Very well. But you do it at your own peril. Father Brown, I don't believe you have the slightest intention of going to bed, either in the tower or anywhere else. We've been dawdling about for hours, watching you brush a few fallen leaves from the grass. Couldn't you postpone your activities until the morning? Our host retired to his room long ago. Never mind. There's always some little thing to be done in the garden that is helpful to others. I know. Let's go and water the flowers. Not at this time of night, surely. Well, look, there's yards and yards of garden hose over here, all ready to be unrolled. That's it. And now to find the tap. Ah, this looks like it. The red tulips before the yellow ones, I think. They look a bit dry, don't they? Look out, Samson. You cut off that tulip's head. Oh, dear me. Mine does seem to be rather a kill-or-cure sort of watering. It's a pity I haven't got a spade. Oh, you should have seen me with a spade. I'd rather not see you armed with such a dangerous tool. Oh, talking of tools, Flambeau, have you got that sword stick you always carry? Of course. Good. And Sir Cecil could have the cutlass the Admiral threw away by the fence here. It's still there, I suppose. Yes, here it is. But why not? Never I... mind about that now. You just keep it by you. May be needed. Oh, how grey everything looks. Now, the mist is rising from the river. Ah, well, I'd better get on with my watering while there's time. Here, put down that hose, will you? What? You put down that damn hose before I do your mischief. Look out, Brown. He's brandishing a rake. Put him down, I say, and go to your... Oh, oh, I see. I do apologize. I'm most fearfully clumsy, I'm afraid. I'd no idea I would. Oh, dear. 
Oh, oh there is Red Fox. I pick a man. Damn you for a blasting nincompoop. I'll, I'll pay you up for this. Just you wait. Hadn't you better put that hose down, Father Brown, before you do any more damage? Quiet. Listen. What is it, Brown? Your river mist has a rum smell. Oh, by heavens, it has. But you can't mean... One of the Admiral's predictions is coming true tonight. This story is going to end in smoke. Quick, with no time to lose. Follow me and play out that hose behind me as I run. Even as Father Brown spoke, a rose-red light suddenly glowed beyond the trees. As they raced towards the tower, the flames seemed to burst into blossom like some gigantic flower, and the noise of crackling like the laughter of a thousand devils filled their ears. Great heavens, what's this? The sign of the blazing tower. Give me a hand with the hose. Hold it so while I direct the nozzle into the heart of the blaze. Well, lucky we hadn't gone to bed. I suppose there's no chance of the fire spreading to the house. The wooden fence that might have carried it was cut away. You don't mean... Oh, well, at least no one can be killed then. Oh, a curious kind of tower. When it takes to killing people, it always kills people who are somewhere else. All right, Sir Cecil. You can leave go of the hose, thank you. All right. I can manage well enough on my own now. Come on, will you? Hey! Come on, you perishing pair of blackamoors. Only standard coffee. Well, who's that? They, they, they foreigners been up to no good down along. It'd be our job to stop them. Now, come on, I say. He's the gardener again, and he needs business. He's waving a cutlet. And he's got those two negroes with him arms, so too, and I'm a Dutchman. You You've had your orders? Stop that damn parson from his infernal meddling. Get down there and stop him. Ah, so I no was right. Look, you two. Knock these fellows down somehow and tie them up. There's rope time by that pile of faggots. Who wants to take away my nice hose? What about the fellow? you, man. Do as I say and leave the blaze to me. Righto, come on, Flumbo. Let's teach those fellows a lesson. No bloodshed, mine. Oh, dear. Damn it. How very inconvenient. Just as I was getting the fire under control. Now, look here. You've no right. Right, Honoras. You'd better drop that cutlass there now. Damn if I do. I have it, you for a middling foreigner. All right, Venture. You look after the other two. I'll deal with this at all. Yeah. Right. Go uh, on, you blockhead. Don't let him get the better of you. Use your cutlass. Father Brown, intent on quelling the blaze, never turned his head to look at the strange fight between the foes and friends of the mysterious fire. He almost felt the island shake when the flambo collided with the huge gardener, but he only imagined how they wrestled and fought. He heard the crash as the Cornishman fell senseless and his friend's cry of triumph as he dashed onto the first Negro. And the cries of both the blacks as Flombo and Fanshawe finally bound them. Flombo's enormous strength had more than addressed the odds in the fight, especially as the fourth man still hovered near the house, only a shadow and a voice in the darkness. Tremaine, do you hear me? Do also the other fellow and tie him up too. Come on, Flumbo. The girl in the canoe. Keep those buckets filled, men. We're not too late, are we? Well, no, but you're only just in time. I'm holding the flames at bay, but no more. We're lining up the chain of buckets from the river. My friends here know exactly what's to be done. That's right, Dan. One bucket full after the other, and pass the empty pails back to be refilled. Here, Dan, there's another one here, did you? Oh, that's good. Keep dozing where the fire's still cold. Come on, I believe we've done it. We have. It's only smoking now. The tower is safe. Not under the tower, I hope. But tell me, young lady, how came you on the scene so opportunely? I saw the flames from my canoe as I was passing the gypsies' camp. I called to them for help. 
First, we thought it was only the woods that had caught fire. But then, Benetto came running down to tell us that the tower itself was alight. Benetto? The butler from St. Dragon House. He's an old friend of ours. Mine and Walter's. Then you're the young lady I saw peering through the window a while ago. Yes. What heaven's name was that? I can only guess, my dear. But I fancy it may have signaled the end of one story. And God willing, the beginning of another. But I tell you, Father Brown, it was horrible. Like the chase of some wild animal. He ran before us, racing madly round the island as he sought to escape. And as we closed in on him, he leapt onto the highest point of the river bank. For a moment, he stood still and turned towards us. The blaze from the tower lit up his face. And we saw it was the Admiral. The Admiral? Then with a terrible cry, he disappeared with a splash into the water. Oh, no. There was nothing we could do. Nor can we do more, I fear. He has been washed down to the rocks by now, where he has sent so many others. He knew the use of a family legend. Oh, don't talk in these parables, Brown. Can't you put it simply in words of one syllable? Yes, don't you remember? Both eyes bright, she more right. One eye blinks and down her sinks. The old rhyme. You mean that... that I thought of asking this young lady if it were morning yet to look through that telescope of the Admiral's and scan the river mouth. She might have seen something to interest her, the sign of the ship. And if she had looked nearer, she might perhaps have seen the sign of the half-man. For though Mr. Walter Pendragon is certainly safe by now, he may very well have had to wade ashore. Oh, for heaven's sake, explain yourself. Well, I'll do my best. Mr. Pendragon has been within a shave of another shipwreck and would never have escaped it if this lady hadn't had the sense to suspect the Admiral's telegram and come down to watch him. But don't let us talk of the Admiral. It's enough to say that whenever this tower rarely caught fire, the spark on the horizon always looked like the twin light on the coast lighthouse. Ah, and that is how the father and brother died, eh? The wicked uncle very nearly got his estate after all. So it would seem... But now that our task is ended, should we not thank this young lady for her timely help? And having wished her Godspeed, seek what opportunity for sleep remains to us aboard the yacht. You are very kind, sir. But it is I who should thank you and your friends. And that I do with all my heart. It's Walter. Walter. It can be no one else. The people are bringing him home in triumph. Oh, I, I must go. I, I must go to meet him. Well, now, how about a cigar before we turn in? Father Brown? Oh, thank you. Flombo? With pleasure. What amazes me is that none of my crew saw or heard anything of the fire. Hmm. Fast asleep in their bunks, no doubt. I suppose so. Well, look out, Father Brown. You've dropped cigar ash in your trousers. Oh, that's not cigar ash. That's from the fire. Well, you don't think so because you're both smoking cigars. Do you know that's just the way I got my first faint suspicion about the chart? Do you mean Pendragon's chart of the Pacific Islands? Yes. You only thought it was a chart of the Pacific Islands. 
Oh, put a feather with a fossil and a bit of coral and everyone will think it's a specimen. And put the same feather with a, a ribbon and an artificial flower and most men will think it's for a lady's hat. You saw that chart among tropic birds and shells and therefore you thought it was a map of the Pacific Islands. It was not. It was a map of this river. Well, this river? How do you know? Well, I saw the rock you thought was like a dragon, and the one like Merlin, and... You seem to have noticed a lot while you were in that dining room. We thought you were rather abstracted. Yeah. Well, I was seasick. That's all. I felt simply horrible. But feeling horrible has nothing to do with not seeing things. Do you think that most men would have seen what you saw? Brown, I'm asking you, would other men have seen all you saw? <laughs> well, I'd be damned. The fellow's asleep. That was The Perishing of the Pendragons by G.K. Chesterton, adapted by Archie Campbell. With Leslie French as Father Brown, William Rushton as G.K. Chesterton, and Francis de Wolfe as Flambeau. Other parts were Sir Cecil Fanshaw, Hugh Ross, Admiral Pendragon, Manning Wilson, Tremaine, Vernon Joyner, Benetto, John Baker, and the girl in the canoe, Julie Hallam. Other parts were played by Timothy Bateson, David Timson, and Alan Rowe. Production was by Christopher Venning. That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Grime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.